0: Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peak's downloadable messages and podcast. This week we have a special guest speaker, David Braggoneer of Barnabas Ministries. David is going to bless us with how God's Word looks at finances. He'll show us scriptural advice on how God wants us to handle what He has blessed us with. And now, with his message, Are You a Steward or an Owner? Here's David Braggoneer. Oh, well, Good morning. It's great to be back here and uh, have very uh, fond and lasting memories of my last uh, trip here, your setting and uh, in, the, in the mountains and just the warmness of the church. So I look forward to this time uh, together with you. How many of you attended the last seminar? All right, we got a whole lot more of you that uh, need to be a part of that. And we had a good time and a good crowd last year, so uh, give that careful consideration. All right, now you have lots of time to sit there. So everybody stand up. We're going to see how much you know about the area of money. All right, got a hard subject. We've got to have some fun doing this. All right, here's how this works. I'm going to ask you a question. You think of the answer. Don't blurt the answer out loud. That will kind of be your natural instinct to do that, to blurt it out loud. But think of your answer, and we'll go from there. All right, here's question number one. What percent of the population has no written plan for their finances? Basically, what they're really doing is taking their income, putting it in their checking account, and reacting to life. They know how much their house payment is, they know how much their car payment is, but they have no written plan for their finances. What percent of the population has no written plan for their finances? Think of your answer. All right, you got an answer? The answer is 95% of the population has no written plan for their finances. God's Word says the mind of a man plans his way and the Lord directs his steps. God's Word says which one of you wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to finish it. A lot of people come up to me and say, well, Dave, I'm just living by faith. Well, that's real good when it comes to your salvation, but when it comes to money and dollars, God basically said, I gave your brain... I'm the author of math. There's a cost of living in Chatsworth. Figure it out. And see, we have to do our responsibility, and then we trust God, knowing he's going to do his responsibility. All right, the answer to that one was 95%. If you guessed 75% or less, sit down. All right, we lost a few of you on that one. All right, here we go with number two. What percent of the population can retire retirement age without needing outside assistance from others? And I'm going to include in that Social Security. Nothing wrong with Social Security, but understanding when you retire and draw Social Security, somebody else has to fund you. What percent of the population can retire at retirement age without needing outside assistance from others? Think of your answer. All right, you got one? Okay, the answer is 5%. Woo! Isn't that interesting? Only five percent of the population has a written plan for their finances, and only five percent of the population can really retire without needing outside assistance from others. If you guess more than 20 percentage points away from that one, sit down. All right you guy's are doing pretty good. Now, my family over here has heard these questions about 600 times. They have to sit down now. It's like a pastor, the pastor in second worship service is always standing up like this, you know, looking around, but he's all heard the answers too, so, all right. Uh, this one's a little bit ambiguous, but I want to bring us to a point with this one. Of the average single-parent mom's income in America, what percentage goes to housing and childcare alone? Of the average single-parent mom's income in America, what percentage goes to housing and childcare alone? Think of an answer. All right, you got one? The answer is about 85%. Their budgets will never balance. And that's one of the subjects we're going to talk about when we get together. We're not there to talk about a single parent's finances. We're there to talk about your and my response, the single parents living around us, sitting amongst us. Currently, only 7% of the single parent moms in America are going to church. That's a terrible uh, percentage. Here's the sad part. At one point, they sat in our pews. And we offered them nothing. And they disappeared out the back door. It's an area that you and I need to be so much more sensitive to. So much more in tune. Single parent moms, single parent dads, all that. Widows, orphans, all those kind of things. The Bible talks a lot about those things. And so we need to look at that area. And if you know any single parent moms and dads, invite them to the seminar. They need to be a part of this. Now, based on that statistic, you probably better offer to pay their way because they probably don't have the money to be here. And we don't want anyone not to be here based on, on money. All right. If you guess more than 20% of the points away from that one, sit down. Uh, usually a lot of people get that one right. All right. One more. According to the banking industry, how many credit cards does the average credit card holder have in their pocket today? According to the banking industry, how many credit cards does the average credit card holder have in their pocket today? Alright, got an answer for that one? The answer is 13. Oh, welcome to America. If you are more than four away, sit down. Alright, here's how this works. Those of you still standing, you need to go on and become our financial teachers and counselors. You need to teach classes on finances and help the others. Those of you who are sitting down, you have no reason not to be back here tomorrow night, or tonight, tomorrow night. Alright, you did a good job on that. That was great. You know, one of the fun things I get to do because of my vocation, and it is fun for me, uh, is I get to go to all different churches and worship with them. Well, maybe like many of you, you're brought up in one church, one style of worship. I instantly discovered there are all kinds of styles of worship out there. And we come together on Sunday morning from a hard, difficult, stressful, busy week. We kind of come together here to praise God and uh, lift our hearts and hear God's word and head out those doors. And we come together on Sunday morning, we clap, we don't clap, we raise our hands, we don't raise our hands, whatever that style of worship is we do. But I also know the reality is that it doesn't matter what style of worship we do. About 40 minutes from now, all of us have to get up out of those seats, walk out those doors, and the forces of darkness are standing right outside those doors. And there's no easier way to take a Christian out than the area of money. Well, a lot of people don't realize as many times the enemy comes in the back door of our life, ties us up financially, and that could be just through ignorance, no one ever taught us. And so then we're sitting here on Sunday thinking about Monday. And we're not free to to praise God. We're not free to serve as as God wants us to. you got to remember, the enemy is not after the world. He has the world. He's after the body of Christ. And he's looking for every way to take you and I out of the game. And so it takes us right out of worship and right out of service. You know, anytime we start talking about math or about money... Uh, money really is just math. Math is always truth. And that's what money is. It's always truth. You should, John says, you should know the truth. The truth should set you free. We don't like the truth. You know, it's tough on us. And, and I hope this is not true, but it probably is in the area of finances. There may be some of us in this room that the truth is, when we get out of worship service, we're going to go out there and get into a car. The truth is, we really can't afford to drive home in that car. Of course, with gas prices today, none of us can afford to drive home. But uh, um, the truth is, some of us are going to go home to houses that we really can't afford to live in. And, and then when we get in that house, we're going to go walking through the kitchen. Sometimes in the kitchen, there's this box on the side of the wall. And sometimes it has written bill box on it. And when you walk by it, it activates itself. And it says, pay me. And sometimes it says, Now. And then we go behind closed doors and have that heated conversation in the area of money. And all of us in this room who are married or been married understand how heated that conversation can get. And see, all those things will knock us right out of worship and right out of service. And then we're not free to serve God as God intended. So what we want to do this morning, tonight, and tomorrow night is help each one of us in this room find God's true financial freedom for our lives. God's got a plan for you and your finances. He's not going to tell me what the plan is. God's got a plan for Dave and Debbie. He's not going to tell you what the plan is. But we ought to hold up the word of God to each other and keep each other in check scripturally and move together forward in the process. So we want to help each one of us in this room find God's true financial freedom for your lives. How many of you are seeking financial freedom? Or better yet, how many of you are seeking financial chaos? You know, in my 20-something years of counseling, and God's allowed me to counsel a lot of people in those 20 years, so far yet, nobody has sat down in my office and said, Hey, Dave, we set out 10 years ago to get $60,000 in credit card debt, have our house go into foreclosure, have the bank repossess the car, have our marriage fail and our kids rebel. We made it! (laughs) They walk into my office and they say, What? Happened. How did we ever get to this point in our life? And see, it's a very slow, gradual process. You and I go to a lot of worship services, a lot of Sunday school classes, a lot of Bible studies, and never once studied the subject of money. A lot of people don't realize money is the second most talked about subject in the Bible. If it's the second most talked about subject in the Bible, maybe it ought to be the second most thing you and I talk about. Maybe it ought to be the second most thing pastor preaches about. Boy, pastor preaches too much on money, you and I start putting some heat on him. He starts getting little emails and notes written to him. Shouldn't be that way. And see, we need to help each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to discuss these things with each other. The encouragement is really important. 2 Corinthians 8, 14 and 15 says, At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their want. That their abundance will be a supply for your want. Then there will be equality. As it's written, he that gathered much did not have too much, and he that gathered little had no lack. See, that's God's economy for today. Not that we take our money, pool it together, and live like a commune, uh, like the early church. He's not talking about that today. But what he's talking about is each of us applying God's principles to our lives. And see, when we're doing that, when you have a need, God taps me on the shoulder and says, meet your need. And when I have a need, God taps you on the shoulder and says, meet my need. But see, if we're not talking about these things, we're not sharing these things, the need goes unmet. Again, if we go back to truth, and I don't know if it's true here this morning, but it probably is, there may be some people in this room this morning that for July and maybe even August... They can't pay their rent or their house payment. And they haven't got a clue where the money is going to come from. I also know there's some people in this room that have the money to make their rent or their house payment. But see, if we're not talking about these things, we're not sharing these things, the need goes unmet. Now, anytime I talk about needs, whether it's this morning, uh, tonight, or tomorrow night, we are not talking without accountability. We've got to have accountability in the room in those meeting of needs. That's why the church needs a financial ministry. That's why it needs a benevolence ministry. My hope is many of you will feel God's call to go on and help in those areas. To teach a Sunday school class on money. To sit down with somebody one-on-one and help them think through their difficult situations. You know, I'm not an investment advisor. I'm not a CPA. But I can sit down and talk to somebody about their finances. Gets too complicated with taxes, gets too complicated investments. I can't help them. That's not even my role to help them in that side. That's somebody else's in this room's role. And see, we need to help each other. We need to encourage each other. So what we want to do uh, this weekend is giving you an openness to talk about money and material possessions. It's a difficult, hard subject. It's a subject we want to share with each other. and uh, But we need to encourage each other. And then we also want to give you biblical instruction. What does God's word say about all the areas you and I have to deal with every week? And then what are the practical applications for our lives in that process? And then also to give you a vision. A vision for what God can do in uh, your life, in your marriage, in this church, in this community, and to the very ends of the earth as you and I apply his principles. Now we get together tonight. We'll tell you a little bit more about those training programs and those kind of things. But let me give you a few more statistics that are kind of interesting. These come from us surveying pretty committed Christians. Kind of a screening out process uh, of this. And so fairly committed Christians. Here's what we discovered. Forty percent of those people we surveyed were overspending each month. They're spending more than they're making. One of the obvious physical indicators that we spend more than we make is when we owe Sears, Visa, and MasterCard. If we're carrying credit card balances, it's a pretty good indicator we spend more than we make. I was driving around one day. It's one of those statements right in our face. The statement was, paying interest on your credit cards is like tithing to the God of debt. Whoa, right in our face. I I thought about that statement afterwards. With most interest rates on credit cards, it's not tithes, it's tithes and offerings. Way beyond that. 20% 20% of those people we surveyed were on the verge of divorce. Nobody knows about it. Uh, family doesn't know about it. Friends don't know about it. Uh, pastor doesn't know about it. The couple just knows the marriage is grinding to a slow halt. We know statistically today that 55% of all recent marriages are going to end a divorce. And about 60% of those people would point to financial difficulties as the number one reason for the breakdown of the marriage. Now, what we need to understand is that is not a true statistic. The number one problem in a marriage is not money. Money is never the problem. The number one problem usually in a marriage is communication. The number one thing we're not communicating about is money. And so it surfaces at the top as the problem. When in reality, money is never the problem. See, money is nothing more than the exact index in our lives tells us right we are with God. Our checkbook tells it all. In fact, if one of you would give me your checkbook, uh, we're going to shoot it up here on the overhead for a few minutes. <laughs> but think about if we did that. We'd probably know what kind of house you live in, what kind of cars you drive, where you go out to dinner, what your vices are, what, your pets, ha- what pets you have, uh, what your giving habits are. We'd know everything about you. People come in my office all the time and say, Hey, Dave, the problem is I'm in debt. They don't understand, and I don't respond this way. But that's not the problem. That's just a symptom of some other problems. Probably greed would be one of the problems. They bought more than they could afford. There's what we're really dealing with. I've uh, discovered over the years, and again, this is not an exact statistic. I'm going to guess I'm really close with this one, though. About 95 plus percent of all the calls for financial counseling, who do you think calls our office, the husband or the the wife? The wife. Right. You want to know why it is that the wife, 95% of all the calls for financial counseling come from the wife? you got to come back tonight, and we'll tell you. That's one of the sessions we're going to cover together on how men and women tend to come at money so totally different. And see, we don't realize we come at money differently, because no one ever taught us. When I married Debbie 36 years ago, I thought for sure she'd come at money just like me. Wrong. And I'm sure she thought I'd come at money just like her. Wrong. You know, the wife tends to be thinking things like, you know, why doesn't my husband understand my needs in this area? Uh, we need to communicate and spend more time talking about money. Uh, we need to get out of debt. We, we need to uh, save some money. We, we need to save for the kid's education. And, and what's the man thinking? What's the big deal about money? Why, why all these pressures? I got more important things to do. You take care of it. And see, we don't realize we come at money from two different perspectives and they wonder why things go and blow up in time. And so we need to look at that area. In fact, that's one of the fun sessions for a lot of people. That's one of those sessions where I get us all laughing while we do surgery. But we need to look at that area. Forty percent of those people we surveyed were paying over $3,000 a year in interest, excluding their mortgage. They're probably paying more in interest than they are in giving to God's work. Think about that one. Today, only two people are giving 2.5% of income, Christians. It's as low as it was in the Depression, and they didn't have any money. And we got tons of money. And see, all these things will knock us right out of worship and right out of service. In fact, when we did this, we kind of discovered these are the exact same statistics as the world outside there. The divorce rate among Christians, no different than the divorce rate among non-Christians today, um, the bankruptcy rate among Christians is not even the bankruptcy rate among non-Christians. And what happens is, if you and I aren't paying attention to what God's word says about these things, slowly we move over, and then we're swept downstream with everybody else. And that's why we need to help each other and need to encourage each other in that process. Here's an interesting figure. In 1928, only 2% of the houses in America had a mortgage on it. Today, 65% of all the houses in America have a mortgage on it. Who changed? God? No, we changed. Say, so, yeah, but Dave, if you're going to buy a house, especially in Southern California, you got to have a mortgage. I would agree with you. Most of us in this room, if we're going to buy a house, we need a mortgage. But understand, 60 years ago, you would have been embarrassed to tell anybody you had a mortgage on your house. Who changed? God? No, we changed. One of the uh, kind of PowerPoint things I'll show you tonight, and it's a handout, I'm going to show you an illustration that we're only one generation away from paying cash for houses. All it takes is one disciplined generation, and they'll buy the house they want, the next generation can pay cash for the house. We can stop the debt cycle even on real estate. But we've got to get back to God's principles and get back to obeying Him. And we need to help each other with that. And we'll show you that tonight. You know, anytime we start talking about money, we have to do some describing of terms, kind of semantics. See, if I was to say to you, let's describe a wealthy person, what would we probably say? Well, gee, Dave, that's somebody with a lot of stocks and bonds, somebody with a lot of real estate, somebody with a lot of capital, somebody with a lot of investments. And that's the way we think of wealth today. Well, that's because that's the way the world thinks of wealth. But biblically, Our wealth goes way beyond our material possessions. It starts with our salvation in Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual gift that God's given to every Christian in this room. It's your temperament. It's your skills. It's your ability. It's your family. It's your friends. It's your reputation in the community. All of that's a part of our wealth. And see, we need to understand is, by God's definition, all of us in this room are wealthy. Now, here's a hard one for us, and it's hard for me. And I'm going to guess in this room right now is every economic level is probably in this room right now. But what we do need to understand is by the world standards, everybody in this room is financially wealthy. Because the world lives in absolute poverty. But we get distorted of view because we live in California, United States. And so wealth is all that God's entrusted to us. See, God's not so concerned with how much money we have. What God's concerned with is our attitudes about the money. 1 Timothy 6 7 says if we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it either. 2 Peter 3.11 says, Since all these things, food, shelter, clothing, cars, stuff, are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? See, that's what God's calling you, United, is to be holy, to be godly. He knows we have to pay the rent. He knows we've got to get back and forth to work. He knows we need a vacation once in a while. But he's called us to be holy and to be godly. See, God's concerned about our attitudes. And anytime you start talking about attitude, you always have to start with one basic principle. It's like God's minimum standard. And to me, it's like a coin that has two sides to it. On one side of that coin, God's made it very clear in his word that he's the owner of it all. And boy, that's a hard one for you and I. Because we got a checkbook in our pocket with our name on it. we got a car out there with our name on it. We're going to go home to a house with our name on it. we got investments with our name on it. And we get real confused about this one. But he's made it real clear. Psalms 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. All it contains. The world and all who dwell in it. Deuteronomy 10.14 says the Lord your God belong the heavens. Even the highest heavens. The earth and everything in it. He just took all of our stuff. Haggai 2.8 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. He just took your bank account, your savings, and all your investments. And John 3.27 says, a man can only receive that which is given to him from heaven. See, God's made it very clear that he's the owner of it all. Boy, I'll tell you what, if you and I think we're owners, sometimes we have to take a step back and look at the sovereignty of God. Think about this for a minute. If God want to take everybody's house on this side of the room, all your bank accounts, all your stuff, all your investments on this side of the room, and move it to that side of the room, all he has to do is go, and we'll have no say in the process. I'll always remember a church I was at, and I said that, and a guy literally stood up from this side of the room and went and sat over there. It was great. At least I knew he hadn't fallen asleep on me yet, so he was still with me. The role that he gives you and I is one of stewardship. Uh, I would def- we would define a steward as someone who manages someone else's resources. A lot of times I go to churches, their idea of stewardship is the three raw, raw Sundays right before Pledge Sunday. That's, that's not stewardship. That's something to do with the giving. But that's not stewardship. Stewardship is understanding it all belongs to God and we're managers. Probably the best word picture we can give to you, and you've probably heard this word picture before. It's like, uh, it's like your banker. You take your money down to your banker and you give it to him. You say, here, take care of this money. Now you got to think about the banker when he takes your money. He has certain freedoms and privileges. He has a freedom to uh, build buildings with it. He has a freedom to pay the light bill with it. He has a freedom to invest it. He has a freedom to pay payroll with it. He has certain freedoms. But when you come back, you want your money back with an increase. Now if your banker calls you... One day from the shores of Hawaii, from his beachfront home on his Mercedes 700 SEL, on his cell phone, says, you know those withdrawal slips you've been filling out? I don't want you to fill any more of those out, because see, you don't have any money left. I spent it all. See, the banker switched from a steward to an owner. And that's so easy for you and I to do, or no one ever taught us those principles, and so we don't understand. One of the greatest passages dealing with stewardship is in Matthew 25. Let's get your Bibles out and let's go there together. Matthew 25, first book of the New Testament. Starting at verse 14. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. Okay, let's set the stage here. This is Christ himself speaking here. He's talking to his disciples. He's been trying to tell them, I'm going back to my father. They don't understand that yet. They don't have a New Testament. Uh, they can't turn on their computer and pull up some passages. So he's getting me a parable to explain it again. So he says here, For just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and trusted his possession of them. Christ go on the journey. He's the owner of it all because he's God incarnate. And he trusts you and I, everything he has. And to one he gave five talents, to another two and another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Well, that's an important passage. Christ does the entrusting according to our abilities. If we got our eyes on each other, we got problems. See, if I'm watching my neighbor over here, and he's doing better than me financially, I may look on a him with a little bit of envy, Bible calls that coveting, called sin. Or if I'm watching my neighbor over here and I'm doing better than him financially, I may look down on him a little bit, have to deal with my ego, and that's called pride and that's called sin. That's where our eyes have to be focused on Jesus Christ. Not on the person on my right or my left. He does the entrusting according to our abilities. We just need to be found faithful with what he's entrusted to us. Being diligent in all these areas. understand learning money is a learned thing. We all can learn how to manage money well. Doesn't mean there's not difficult times. Does Life is in seasons. And those seasons ebb and flow. I have been with godly men and we are rejoicing at God just opening up the purse strings and running tremendous amount of money through their checking accounts and back into God's work. And five years later, we're prostrate on the ground crying out, please keep this firm out of bankruptcy. Because the wind shifted and sometimes you have no control of the wind shifting. And so life's in seasons, and those seasons can change. That's where we need each other, encourage each other, make the hard decisions when they need to be made. Immediately the one who received the five talents went and traded with them and granted five more talents. In the same manner, the one who received two talents gained two more. But he received the one talent, went away, dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of these slaves came and settled accounts with them. Think about that for a minute. If you're in this room, you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, there's going to be a day when we probably stand before the Almighty God and tell Him how we did with His money. You and I as Christians have to give an account of every word, thought, and action we do. Yes, we are saved, but we still have to give an account. Now, I need to say this here at this point. If you're in this room and you do not know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you have not come to that point in your life yet, and you've not made that decision, when you meet your maker face-to-face, he's not going to ask you one thing about money. The only thing he's going to want to talk to you about is tell me about your relationship with my son, Jesus Christ. That's the only thing he's going to want to talk to you about. I pray everybody in this room will know how to respond to that. And the one who received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrust me with five talents, see, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave, you are faithful few things, I will put you in charge of many things, enter the joy of your master. The one also received the two talents, came up and said, Master, you entrust me with two talents, see, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Now you need to catch there, they had different amounts of money, but the reward was the same. See, it's not the amount of money that we have that's important. It's our attitude about the money. And the one who also received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid... And I went away and I hid your town on the ground. See, you have what is yours. See, fear is causing this man to think and do things not in keeping with God's word and God's character. He's thinking things that aren't even true. You and I should not be fearful in our lives. We should not be fearful of the financial arenas of our lives. But as master danced said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I will receive my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even he does have, uh, shall be taken away. A little bit of thought there of use it for God's work and glory or lose it. And cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, there is a very obvious message in there for you and I on the whole issue of stewardship. It's just blaring out that God's called you and I to be stewards of his resources. It's an everyday battle for everyone in this room, including me, to stay in that mode of steward versus owner. But you know what? Stewardship is one of the last things a Christian will take care of in their life. There is a lot of things we'll surrender to God before we surrender our pocketbook. And so chances are, you're really not going to deal with the stewardship issues in your life until first you deal with lordship issues. Who's lord of our life? When we walk out these doors in a few minutes, who's in charge? Christ in his word, me and my thoughts. For most of us in this room, including me, that's our wrestling match. Who's in charge? Christ in his word, me and my thoughts. And you can't deal with lordship in your life until first you deal with your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This last verse says, and cast out the worth of slave into the outer darkness and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boy, that's an interesting verse to throw here at the end of this stewardship message. If you go through the Gospels, that verse is in there over and over. It's talking about eternal separation from God. Hell, whatever word you want to put on it. That tells me there's a more important message in here than even stewardship. It has to do with our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If we put a different slant on this Passage here. See this first servant. He took in God's word. The vernacular you and I would use today is: This guy prayed to receive Christ as his personal savior. Had to confess his sin first. Prayed to receive God Christ as his personal savior. Then he acted upon it with his life, and it bore fruit for the kingdom twofold. The second servant took in God's word. He prayed to receive Christ as his personal savior. He acted upon it with his life, and it bore fruit for the kingdom twofold. This third servant, this guy took in God's word. What we would say today is, this guy's going to church. Next hour, this guy's going to teach a Sunday school class. This guy's going to come back this week and go to a leadership meeting at the church. When the offering plate went by, this guy put in ties. He put in tithes and offerings. This guy knows all about God. But he doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and he's cast in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it starts for each one of us is do we have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ or do we just know about God? Easy to do in our country. And then once we've dealt with that salvation issue, then we can move over to lordship issues. Who's lord of our life? Christ and his word? Me and my thoughts. And then after that, then we can deal with issues of stewardship. How do we become a steward? Steward. I don't know what you need to do. For Dave and Debbie, we heard that message years ago. We were sitting right where you're sitting. We were Christians. We're giving money to the church. But we said to ourselves, who are we kidding? We're not stewards. We're owners who just stick some money in the offering plate. And so for us, we literally went home that night. We knelt down at the foot of our bed. Our bed for that, that night was like an Old Testament altar. You know how in the Old Testament you have to sacrifice things on the altar? Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac. God saying, you love me? Or you just say you do. I see your lips moving. Let's see some action. And so that night, we started putting some stuff on the altar for us. You know, one of the first things we put on the altar is the house. Thank you, Lord, you've allowed us to be a homeowner. But realize this is not our house. This is your house. We put it on the altar. Lord, we put on the altar the equity in the house, not our equity, your equity. We put on the altar that night the rights To ever be a homeowner. We've taken today as our God-given American Christian right to be a homeowner. I hope everybody in this room can be a homeowner. It's been a good thing in this country. So I hope you can be a homeowner. If it's God's will for your life. Because if it's not God's will for your life, I don't care how big it is, how new it is, what neighborhood it's in, it won't be any fun. We put on the altar that night the cars... Lord, you know we've got to get back and forth to work and do all that stuff we need to do, but we give them up to you. Boy, be careful what you pray for. Three times God said to Dave and Debbie, you mean it? And three times we had to give the car to somebody else. We put on the altar that night, Julie and Christy, our oldest daughters, it's the only ones born at that time. Lord, they're not our kids, they're your kids. You have not promised a full life with these kids and you've not promised good health with these kids. And we give up that to you. And last night, we put a lot of stuff on the altar. But when your left hand's doing this, what's your right hand doing? That's right. It's coming up here to grab it off the altar. See, that's why stewardship is daily. That's why it's almost by the minute, because you and I are trying to grab the stuff and run with it. It's also why in Psalms or Proverbs, God says he holds your right hand. So you can't do that as fast. What do you need to place on the altar? What are you holding on to? He's the owner of it all. We're his body of believers. Are we stewards or are we owners? Let's pray. You know, the truth is, I don't know very many people in this room, but the Holy Spirit knows the hairs on every head in here and knows them by number. And there may be someone here this morning that realizes for the first time, ah, oh, they know all about God and I got some of that God talk down. But they also know they do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe someone here this morning needs to settle that issue once and for all and just pray what's on your heart. Father, forgive me for my sin. I know one sin separates me from you for eternity. And I now invite Jesus Christ into my life as my personal Savior. I know that if no one else was on the earth, he would have died for me alone. Boy, if you'll do that and mean that, he promises to indwell you with his Holy Spirit and to give you eternal life, settled once for all forever. Probably the majority of us in this room, we've done that. But maybe somewhere along the way, we kicked Christ off the throne of our life, and we have placed ourselves on the throne. Oh, yeah, again, we're doing some of that churchy stuff. But maybe the reality is, we need to crawl off the throne and put Jesus Christ back on the throne. And maybe we also need to ask His forgiveness for our willful and our disobedient spirits. And then just purpose to follow him. He doesn't care where we've been. He's paid the price. He just cares where we're headed. And probably uh, many of us in this room deal with the reality of that whole ownership versus stewardship. Maybe we need to put some things on the altar tonight or maybe place back on the altar some things. The house, the rights to be a homeowner, the cars. Maybe we do have a bill box full of bills. Put it on the altar Jesus Christ died for that. (laughs) Marriage with stress, rebellious children, whatever it is, place it on the altar. Lord, as each one of us are praying, that which you are laying on our hearts, Father, now may we take your grace to move forward when we leave here. Lord, I don't need your grace for the next year. I need your grace for the next hour after church to be obedient to you and your word. And Lord, may our lives and our time and our resources be nothing more than a tool in your hand to get your gospel to the very ends of the earth that no one's lost without saving knowledge of Jesus Christ before you decide to return. And so we pray this and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that good?
1: I want to just thank David. Thank you so much for bringing that message today. Um, and just think, you know, it, it is a powerful message uh, and I, I, I want to say something, if you're brand new and you're, you're really dealing with the thoughts, I know about God, but I don't know if I know God, I would say don't leave here tonight, or this morning, excuse me, without stopping by, there's uh, some prayer counselors in the back. Just stop by there and say, you know, I, I think you might be talking about me, because I feel like I know about God, but I'm not sure I know God. Don't leave without stopping by there and talking to someone, and um, let someone process that with you a little bit. And the other one, it, just for us, uh, we're, we're not owners, we're stewards, and imagine a church that can embrace that in deeper ways like every asset we have is a tool in the hand of the king and if the king calls for it in whatever way we're obedient to that that's a powerful church let me just say it's a powerful church and i just know there are people in this church who already live and model that and i'm telling you it's made huge impact in amazing ways whether you bless someone else or uh far off whether it's admissions or things like that who knows what the lord will call and, and do with that stuff but it's a powerful and encouraging message and the idea of wealth um Remember the Uganda uh, choir, Manguaza Children's Choir last week? Amazing. And, you know, it's also a reminder like, man, I don't have a lot of money in here. Uh, or you're thinking, I just, there's, there's just not a lot of, you know, earthly assets here, but wealth goes far beyond that. I remember that. Remember the little kid in the front, big smile. His name was Jackson. You know, I found out from that kid, he was, is, as he's been on tour out here worshiping and doing these concerts for these churches and ministering, you know, he's lost his brother back home. His brother died. Um, but when you see what wealth truly is, far beyond your physical assets, when you see that kid worship, you understand how wealthy that kid is. And that's something to remember. Um, our wealth goes far beyond anything earthly that we could ever touch. And that's a great reminder too, David. So thank you for all those different levels that you've encouraged us with. Pastor Michael will be back next week. God bless you guys. We'll see you then.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at RockyPeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at
1: Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.